Today is a solemn day. Or as Pastor Corey mentioned, it's a somber day. And before we get to Easter Sunday, before we get to Resurrection Sunday, and we celebrate the victory of Christ, we are called to commemorate his death. This evening, we place our focus on the cross and we reflect on the sacrifice of our Lord, a sacrifice made out of love for us and obedience to his Father in heaven. Toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry, he told a parable in Mark 12. And the parable was about some defiant tenants. Now, I assume most of you at one time or another, knew what it was like to be a tenant. That you, you, rented, you know, rented a home, you rented your apartment or a room. And so as a tenant, you're familiar with, with a rental agreement and the obligation of the landlord to provide the place, to keep the place up, right? and then for you to pay rent for us to come up, right, with the rent that it costs to stay there each month. And I want you to just keep that relationship in mind as we look at this parable this evening, this relationship between landlord and tenant, and kind of what, what, the, obligations, what the obligations were here. So if you look in your program, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect, to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this is an interesting parable because in it, Jesus, he portrays a picture of what God has done and is doing in the life of the Jewish people. See, the man that planted the vineyard in this story is God. 
God established a covenant relationship with the Jews, his chosen people, to be their God, and they would be his people. But when it was time for the harvest, it says, for them to to pay the rent, so to speak, the Jews balked. See, the landlord had provided his end. He had provided the vineyard, just like God provided the promised land to the Israelites. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. In other words, he primed the land. He made it nice, like a land flowing with milk and honey. And he secured it. And then he allowed the Jews to occupy it and share in its blessings. But when God asked them to bear fruit and to keep their end of the bargain, their end of the covenant, they rebelled violently. See, most scholars, most theologians, they see this, this parable, and they see this as an example of God sending the Old Testament prophets to Israel to call them to repentance. And just like in the parable, though, they rejected them. It says, some they beat, others they killed. Until God had only one person left to send. Yeah, his son, whom he loved. I think when you read the parable, when you study God's word and this story, it just breaks your heart. After his servants, one after another, had been beaten and killed, it says he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. You know, it reminds me of um, one of the movies that you would watch where you know what's going to happen, right? You know what's around the corner. And, and, you, and you watch, and you, you scream at the TV, right? And you say, don't, no, don't do it. Don't do that. And he does it anyway. He sends his son And the tenants do exactly what we expect. They ruthlessly kill him, and they toss his body outside of the vineyard. See, either God, the landlord, is a fool, and he doesn't know what he's doing, or he loves us so much He's willing to send his one and only son into the line of fire, fully aware of what will happen. In your program, the next passage is Matthew 27. Let me read Matthew 27. This is what happens to the servant, to the son. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. 
Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after, fasting, after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So what happened to God's Son? He was rejected. He was condemned by his own people, the Jews. And they demanded that he be crucified. So the Romans took him, and they tortured him, they mocked him, and they nailed him to a cross. They hammered nine-inch spikes into his wrists and his feet. They pushed a crown of thorns on his head. They stuck a spear into his side. It was brutal. It was horrific. But it wasn't unexpected. God didn't make a mistake by sending him. And the landlord wasn't a fool for sending his son. See, when we connect the parable 
to Jesus' death, we realize this is how, he, how the Jews treated many of the prophets and those who spoke God's word. And God's wrath would fall on them. He would take his blessing, he would remove it from the Jews and give it to others. Jesus' suffering and death was not a flaw, not an error in God's plan. It was the fulfillment of it. And it was walked right into with eyes open wide and with a heart of love and compassion. This parable, this parable is a, is a clear indictment of Israel's failure to recognize and accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. But it's not just about them. It's about us as well. Because we also need forgiveness. We also need a Savior. You and I have rebelled against God, haven't we? At times, we have rejected God, His Word, His messengers. And like the tenants, we have been unwilling to uphold our end of the bargain, to remain faithful. Like the worship song says, it was our sin that held him there. It was our sin and our rebellion that required the landowner to send his son. And we killed him. We were complicit in his death. But even as Jesus hung on the cross, you know, and we have our more rugged cross here this evening. Even as he hung on the cross, beaten, forsaken by the people that he had come to save, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Beloved, Scripture says that we were once children of wrath. We deserved destruction. We deserved the death that was due us. Yet God, in his mercy, he offered his son as a sacrifice for us. This is why we're here tonight. Jesus' suffering was for you and for me for our salvation. His death paid the penalty for our sins and reconciled us to God. This made eternal life possible for you and me. It opened the door to eternal life with God. See, for us, the gift of eternal life, it's free. But to God, it was oh so costly. You know, if you're here in person, when you, you came in this evening, um, you picked up a piece of paper with the program. And um, did everyone get a piece of paper? Just a slip of paper. Uh, what I'd like you to do is to write your name on the piece of paper. 
Write just your name. And over the next, over the next several minutes, I'd like you to just hold on to that piece of paper, but I'd like you to pray quietly and to remember Christ's sacrifice. Reflect on what he did this Good Friday, and the death he died, the suffering and the sacrifice that he made, how he went to the cross on your behalf, how he paid the penalty for your sins, how he has reconciled you to God. And ask God to forgive you. Ask God to renew a right spirit within you. Ask God to set you right with him. And after, after a few minutes, okay, when you're ready, uh, I'd like you to take the piece of paper and come up to the front to the cross if you're able. And on either side here, just on the stool, there's just a tape dispenser. And I'd like you to just take a piece of tape, go ahead and tape your, your name, your card, okay, on the cross. You put your name on the cross where Jesus suffered and died right, for you. Your name represents you and your sins sins you may have committed in the past, sins you may commit in the future. And putting it on the cross means that Jesus suffered and died for you and your sins. And he bore our sin and shame. So you put your card with your name anywhere on the cross. Okay. And when you're done with that, you, could, you can go back to your seats, but... Um, take, a, take a couple of minutes to pray and to offer yourselves to the Lord and ask God to make you right. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross.